0: So in my opinion all athletes in every sport at every age should be doing respiratory muscle training to to improve performance. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford.
1: Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Trevor Gray. And Trevor is based in Tacoma, Washington. And he's got a number of years of coaching experience under his belt, uh, but he's also a, a professor in a number of things. And I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit more about that, Trevor. But uh, do you, I've, I've got you on the podcast today to talk about really three, three key things. First one being heart rate variability and how you can use that to uh, know when to be able to push yourself in training and when to back off. We're going to talk about how to breathe properly and how to train yourself or how you can improve your swimming performance using respiratory muscle training. And we're also going to talk about blood flow restriction training. So Trevor, welcome to the podcast.
0: Brenton, thank you very much for having me. It's good talking with you.
1: So you're, um, you're have, have coached swimming for, for quite a number of years, but now um, you're, you're a professor in a number of things. So do you want, can you talk a little bit about that and your, your background and um, I guess kind of what, what gives you the, the credibility to talk about all this stuff that we are about to talk about?
0: um uh yeah well first i've I've been there i've done swimming and i've done triathlon and so i think um not that those who haven't done the the sport can't coach but i think it just gives you a level of understanding and connection to the athlete that perhaps they couldn't uh think about or perhaps they couldn't um connect to the athlete with so i'd like to think i have this well-rounded picture of what the athlete is going through, not only by doing it, but but then going back in an older age and learning the science about it. Mm. And so yeah, I'm I'm a uh, professor of anatomy and physiology and nutrition at Tacoma Community College. Um, I just started doing that. I'm, I've been there a couple quarters now, and then um, I'm, I'm still have my finger in the coaching pool. I'm not I'm not coaching full time right now, but I am uh, monitoring the physiological adaptation. To training through heart rate variability with with a number of amateur and professional athletes.
1: Let's let's go straight into the heart rate variability. So I've, I've talked a little bit about it with uh, with another guest on the podcast, probably twelve or eighteen months ago. Um, for those that have maybe heard the term but don't know exactly what it is, what's um, how would you, how would you sort of sum it up to people?
0: So stress is cumulative. Every day we we have. Um, symptoms of eustress and distress and eustress is good stress and distress of course is bad stress and the brain doesn't particularly know what the difference is in terms of distress so if we're having an argument with our significant other and we're training and we are late for work and we have traffic that is cumulative and that shows up in the expression of the sympathetic or parasympathetic nervous system that comprises our autonomic nervous system. And when we have too much stress, too much sympathetic tone, that can be measured through heart rate variability. And what it is, is you measure uh, in, in a QRS wave, when we see those medical shows or movies and people are hooked up and you see the beep, 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 we can measure the time domain between the peaks of the R part of the wave. And then we collect data on that and do a bunch of number crunching, and that has been associated with your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And so I can literally mo- monitor the accumulative stress of athletes and, and people who don't work out to make sure they're positively adapting to the training.
1: And how would someone go about taking their taking this measurement?
0: Well, it's free. You could do it on your own. you got to buy a couple bucks for an app. Um, it does take someone, in my opinion, with experience and training under it to really interpret the data. Um, but there are a number of companies out there uh, that that can take heart rate variability. The wearables have not uh, been validated yet t- in terms of measurement. I know the Oura Ring. I think the Aura Ring, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. I think that one has been validated. I'm not aware of any other full-time 24-hour wearable has been validated. Uh, You can use a chest strap to measure heart rate variability. And then of course, uh, it has been validated to take a measurement on your smartphone through the camera. That has been validated against the gold standard, which is in the laboratory uh, measuring heart rate variability. And traditionally, you do it upon first thing waking in the morning. Your sympathetic nervous system will suppress itself during sleep, ideally. And then, right when you wake up, it will present itself, and the level of presentation of your sympathetic nervous system can give you a window into whether you're overtraining or not.
1: Mm. And is it a is it a sign as well of, you know, let's say someone's training three times a week, and it's all it's all pretty steady, you know is it is it also going to show that whether they're they're maybe stressed from from work or, or something else and that stress is getting to them so that they might be best to, to take that session easier is it a sign of both all of those different types of things or is it just training training uh over or, or or whether you're coping with it
0: No, actually, under training as well. So yes, it will show you whether you need to take an easy, uh, an easy workout or an easy day. Um, It it tells you whether your physiology is ready to accept the hard training or not. And if on a particular day, if it's ready to accept the hard training, then yes, you would proceed as normal and do the hard workout, or even change it up. When I had a recovery day, my physiology suggests that I'm ready for hard training. Let's go hard today. And so you could change it up or you can say, hey, you know what? My physiology is not ready to take on this workout. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it easy today. So it can tell you if you're over or under training.
1: And how, so you're working with a, well, a number of athletes and some, some very high level athletes as well. What's uh, What what app are they using? How are they uh, taking that data and how are they working with their coach and, and you to, to use that data with their training?
0: So I use the HRV for training platform developed by Dr. Marco Altini. Um, I'm pretty sure he's Italian, uh, and he is constantly updating the app um, with uh, what science has shown to be improvements in, in the app. And then he'll he'll adapt that to the app. And I I find I find that app the easiest and most validated way to use. Uh, HRV measurements. And so what I do is uh, I have a list of all my athletes and I will see who's adapting positively and who's adapting negatively and if an athlete is adapting negatively for example I'll um, I usually actually uh, email or text usually through text an athlete almost every day one athlete I work with likes to know hey how am I doing? I feel fine but how am I doing? And I give him the reinforcement which he really which he really likes. And then on days where he's not adapting he will go to his coach and say hey uh, my physiologist is suggesting that uh, I need a little bit of rest. And the, uh, what's the great part about it is the coach listens to that and will adjust. Uh, and now going into world championships is coming up here and going into world championships. He says he's never been uh, more ready for a big meet coming up than he ever had. Or he's been mo- he's more ready for the big meet than he ever has coming up. Usually at this time of year, he's beaten down. Um, he, he cannot wait for taper. And uh, he just wants to rest and get ready for the meet. But now he's going into his taper with a fresh body and a fresh mind.
1: Mm. Have you have you ever seen any pushback from coaches on it, or are you find it's becoming much more widely accepted from coaches looking at the the heart rate variability?
0: There's definitely some skepticism about it. I mean, it's a relatively new uh, technology. Uh, last ten years, it's, it's been developed to a point where we can. Uh, take it every day at the consumer level and not in the laboratory, and so there's some skepticism. But once they uh, say, "Okay, let's give it a try," and they and they see that it works, they see the benefits of it, and then they they kind of eat it up and they're like, "Well, why aren't all my athletes on this?" And so that's kind of the stage that we're at now is um, expanding upon the technology because it seems to be very beneficial.
1: And from your end, how do you how do you check how your athletes are doing? Does the the app have a a way for you to be able to get those results of your athletes?
0: Yeah. So the app, uh, any athlete, any consumer athlete can get a daily piece of advice and then they could follow that or not. And and by the way, high rate variability is not 100% accurate. The human body is highly variable and it's extremely complex. And so, um, it is not one, like if you get a measurement during a day that does not mean that oh no I'm falling into overtraining I better stop training no that's not what that means at all it means um, that over the long term and and, you, and what we do is we look at the long term we look at the long term trends of your heart rate variability and then make educated guesses based off that so um, actually I'm sorry I don't know if I answered that question or not what was what was the question
1: Have you got a wave uh, as as the athletes well physiologist yeah. to to be able to. Get receive all of that uh, heart rate variability data from say 20 different different athletes and you're able to just sort of keep on top of it? Is that how you, you manage it? Is, it? is there something set up through the app that you can receive all of that uh, information?
0: So the app has a simplified view of your daily readings and then the pro version, which I'm using the, the coaching version, I get additional insights into their physiology because you also ask a questionnaire both based on objective and subjective data and then those are correlated with HRV. And then I could dig really deep in the data and make a guess on something, for example, sickness. So the same athlete I was talking about earlier, uh, he had no change in training, uh, no travel. There was nothing in his life that changed the stress, and, except he had some dips in his, in his uh, heart rate variability. And I thought that was maybe a sign of him getting sick. I said, hey, do whatever you need to do get some extra rest, make sure nutrition is spot on to not get sick. And two days later, his HRV spiked back up. Now, whether he was really coming down with something or not, I don't know. But we did take some precautionary measures, and it did seem he didn't get sick. Um, so I, I, on my view, I can see additional information that allows me to make decisions like that.
1: And uh, And for, say, the the person who's swimming a couple times a week, whether they're doing oh, the swimming or swimming or triathlon, yeah. Obviously triathlon, there's a bit more of a risk of overtraining if you're doing sort of half or full distance Ironman events. Uh, what 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 sort of level should someone do you think someone uh, should be at to be to be taking this stuff uh, pretty seriously or or looking at it? Is there sort of a minimum requirement or you think that every everyone should be should be using it?
0: Not only uh, triathletes and swimmers, but every athlete in every sport, in my opinion, should be using this, especially beginners, because it's so easy for beginners to jump into a new training program and overdo it. And then we get people who are injured or frustrated or, um, and and beginners can accept different amounts of stress. So some, one beginner has to really ease into it. And some beginners, yeah, they could actually ramp up their, their exercise volume and intensity fairly quickly. And so in my opinion, we are still in the dark ages of coaching in every sport. And this HRV, heart rate variability, is the first um, insight into training adaptation that is non-invasive that we have. So Mm -hmm. yeah, in my opinion, every level, every sport should be using it, including kids.
1: At at what age do you feel like they should start using it?
0: As soon as they're doing like, you know, three to four trainings a week and they're getting a little bit more serious. Um, So hopefully, you know, 15 and over, I, I would hope that 12-year-olds aren't that serious, but, you know, we both know in some sports, parents are having their 12-year-olds be serious.
1: Yeah, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah. so rate variability um, is, is the first one there. So, HRV for training, that's the one that I've, uh, I've seen before. And I've got a good friend who's a high-level coach and he's got a, a number of athletes on the Australian team. He, he does basically what you're doing with a bunch of athletes. So, he has all of his squad uh, using that app. Every morning they wake up they uh, they get the hiv in the morning and uh and he can see that and he can he can have a look and see whether or not they should be uh be adjusting their training or not so i think it's um there seems to be a big movement towards it which which is great Uh, the next one is uh uh, respiratory muscle training so basically breathing and 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 how people can use this to enhance their performance in in swimming and i know that you've done a a paper on on this i was sort of looking at that that earlier Um, what's what are some of the things that have been proven to be beneficial in terms of respiratory muscle training for swimmers
0: well for uh, actually respiratory muscle training has been shown to be more beneficial for land-based athletes but swimmers as well but the hydrostatic effects of being in the water have shown to improve respiratory muscle training but we could still train the the long muscles beyond what being in the pool does and all respiratory muscle training is it's the same thing as just going in the weight room and lifting uh, a weight for bicep curls you're training that muscle to improve its strength and and resilience and to uh, reduce injury rates in that muscle respiratory muscle training does the same thing and you can't put weights or dumbbells or plates on the breathing muscles, but we can do respiratory muscle training to have the same effect as being in the weight room.
1: So what uh, what are some ways, what's one example of uh, a type of of breathing you can do to strengthen these muscles?
0: Well, there are a number of apps out um, that you could just do some breathing exercises, number one, but respiratory muscle training provides resistance against the inhale and exhale, so you have to forcibly, uh, concentrate on trying harder to breathe. And uh, these devices, you have to have a device to do it, uh, have different levels, they're different settings so that you can um, increase the resistance you have on your lungs so that over time, just like in the weight room, over time you can increase the strength of your lungs. And re- studies have shown that you get enhanced performance. You, one big one is reduction of perceived exertion. So, for a given level of effort, those who have done uh, in spirit specifically inspiratory, which is the inhale, muscle training have lower levels of exertion uh, at a given VO two max.
1: And that, so you're talking about things like the the power lung of, of uh, mm-hmm. used, yeah things like the power lung, which basically just rest, yeah restricts the breathing. And is is that more strengthening the the diaphragm than anything else, or a number of other muscles as well?
0: So there's three muscles that work in breathing. Basically, yes, the diaphragm is one. And then the intercostal muscles, the external and internal intercostal muscles. And uh, uh, inspiratory muscle training works the internal intercostals, the breathing muscles. But you can also work on the exhalation too. The problem with exhalation is you can get a little bit dizzy uh, when doing that. Um, When you have that drop in, in thoracic pressure, you can get dizzy. So really respiratory muscle training consists of more inspiratory or inhalation muscle training. And yeah, power lung is one. Uh, I use the power breathe and full disclosure. I am not sponsored by any company or I'm not sponsored by HRV for training or power breathe. Um, I use these products willingly and freely. So yeah, I use the power breathe. Uh, for, I think they're out of the UK.
1: Yeah. I, th- I remember, uh, I think it was probably 10 years ago. I remember my, my dad bought one. Um, he was, he was my swimming coach back then. And, uh, yeah, and we we used to not. We just sort of. I was I was a bit younger then, so we just used it for a bit of fun, but uh, uh, didn't really have a, a training program around it. But it's uh, it's it's quite tiring, you know. After one to two minutes, you're starting to feel like, all right, I'm ready for a rest now. So, it's uh, h- how long do you do it for?
0: Well, and you can do it for one to two minutes, but the research was studying two modalities of using it of use. One was for thirty minutes, which to me seems way too long. Uh, one that's more applicable is twice a day for 30, uh, 30 breaths. Mm. So you would do 30 inhalations twice a day, uh, morning and night. And that seems to improve, uh, p- uh performance in those who are using it compared to controlled groups. Mm. Um, I've, I've been using it for a while now and not only does it seem to have me warm up for the day, uh, it feels really good to morning, just wake up your lungs and I'm on now onto 50 breaths. I've kind of increased the resistance and have done 50 breaths. So I'm, I'm experimenting with doing more breaths. And if, for those who do decide to use respiratory muscle training, uh, start off with the recommended amount, which is just 30 breaths or 30 seconds twice a day at a really low setting. And then you'll know. And I think everyone, again, everyone should be doing it. All athletes use their uh, lungs. So, in my opinion, all athletes in every sport at every age should be doing respiratory muscle training to to improve performance.
1: One thing that I've found to to be quite useful too, with without any um, devices, is so I was I had a I was driving for 19 hours. This was about four weeks ago. I was going on family holiday, so I had a, a lot of time to kill in the car, and so I was uh, I was just doing some different breathing exercises, and and one of them was. I was trying to see how long I could do the inhale for. So just like mm. a, a very long inhale. And I got it up to, uh, I got up to 90 seconds. So it's just 90 seconds wow. of, of an inhale. It took me a while to get there, but yeah, I sort of started out at about 45 seconds and then progressively get to to a minute and then a minute 15, and eventually got to a, about a minute 30 on, on the last one. and. Um, so i found doing that with this this slow uh inhale and then i I make sure that my i'm starting from down low so using the diaphragm filling in like in through the the belly and then it sort of expands up to the lungs and by the end of it after 90 seconds my my chest is out my my stomach's out and it's sort of as as big as i can get and i find that that expansion of of the uh, of the, the chest and the stomach to for whatever reason, when I was training for the next four weeks after doing these exercises quite a bit over the course of a few days, um, I just found that my, my output could be um, a lot, uh, or I could sustain a much higher output without feeling like I was getting tired. So I was just a lot more in control of my breathing. So i found right. that, that 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 exercise alone was um was hugely beneficial so uh, it's got it's something i'm going to keep doing more when i'm in the car because it's you can't really do it day to day or in the workplace it's a bit weird but um <laughs> yeah just you know focusing on your breathing is uh is, is a huge one that i think is often uh not not considered too too much especially compared to your typical you know weight training or whatever it might be because it's you know it's, it's the thing that we all just do. Uh, subconsciously, but we never really stop and think about our breathing and control it. And I think um, this respiratory muscle training and and even just um, intentional breathing and um, long inhales, long exhales, um, I find that stuff can be very, very useful.
0: Uh, You're absolutely right. And that's really impressive, 90 seconds. And before we move on, you bring up a great point in that we do have downtime. Uh, Hopefully, we're alone because you're right. You can't take The power breathe at work or uh, you know on transit but when we do have downtime or you can't work out on a particular day for whatever reason you can use these exercise modalities to compensate for the missed workout you could do breath training and you can do uh, occlusion or blood flow restriction training and you get at least some training effect on those when we have downtime when we're commuting
1: Let's talk so a bit a about that—the um, the blood flow restriction training. So, I, the only reason I'm sort of aware of this is I've seen uh, Michael Andrews, uh, a, a swimmer in the US, post post a few pictures about this, uh, but I've never I haven't really looked too much into it. So, what what is it, and, and how does it benefit people?
0: So, there's four names to it, and they're all basically the same. Um, It was invented in the 70s under the brand name Katsu, K-I think two A's, A-A-T-S-U. It's a a Japanese brand named Katsu. And then the the common name is blood flow restriction. And then the medical or clinical terms are uh, occlusion training or ischemic conditioning. And basically what you're doing is you're getting some bands and you wrap them around the um, arms or legs, not, not necessarily at the same time. And you reduce the amount of blood flow back to the heart. Uh, you're getting some blood flow to the muscles, but you're just compressing pretty tightly the arms and legs so that you get reduced blood flow. And then you go exercise. And you don't do it hard. It's only at 30, 20, 30, maybe 40% of one rep max because it's been tested in the weight room, because that's an easier way to test it. Um, but you go light. And so I, I'll use it in the pool. And you do it for about eight to ten minutes um, uh, uh, at a session, and you what the effect is is you get this um, metabolic profile that elicits strength and hypertrophy um, for those muscles being used in exact way that they're you're training for. So you know there's big debate on whether strength training in the weight room affects your swimming. Does it help or not? Well, this is one way to have direct increases in strength in the water is by using BFR training.
1: So you put it, you'd put it at the top of your top of your arms, kind of, uh, you know, just a little bit below the the shoulders there. Is that right? Or correct. And and then with the legs, would you be to put it at the top of the thighs or near just above? Uh, Okay.
0: Absolutely. And the one Michael Andrew uses is quite expensive and it's probably the most effective, uh, but it's really... You know, they have extra resources, um, but they, it's air compressed, so they could dial in the exact pressure that they need for any particular exercise that they're doing. So they can go a lighter pressure or a, or a stronger pressure. Um, whereas the bands that you could buy on, um, online for, what, 20, 30 bucks, um, I think I use, uh, yeah, they're called BFR bands actually. They have a number on them that you can use to dial in how tight you want these straps. And, and you get to the point where man your arms are heavy and you could barely get your arms out of the water or you're barely kicking and uh, it feels like you're at, you're at the end of a race so it simulates something like that
1: that's interesting right and, and how often would you recommend people uh do, use it
0: um i would say three to six times per week um what i've been using them for is i'll do my main set And then I'll throw the bands on to kind of top off that metabolic profile that we get from doing a set, which, you know, we call fatigue. But what's really happening is you get this, these um, metabolites from exercise that are used to then, you know, remodel the body and you go and rest and you get adaptation. And so um, uh, I'll I'll use at the end of a workout and then I barely do any cool down. Um, so that I keep that metabolic profile in my body for a longer period of time. Because if you do a, a long extended cool down, then you're flushing a lot of those signalers uh, that cause adaptation to training.
1: And you and you find it doesn't uh, affect you the next session, so you don't feel, uh, let's say, heavy like you would if you haven't done a cool down after a, a main set?
0: Well, if you... Are training twice in one day in a 12-hour period, let's say, then I probably would do it at the second session so that you can go home, eat, sleep, and recover. Um, So I would save it for the afternoon session if you're doing doubles. But if you're doing one session a day, uh, no, I don't feel it at the next session because I I got that 24-hour window to recover.
1: Yeah, interesting. So BFR bands, okay.
0: And mm-hmm. I want to, I do want to say that the the, the safety of it is uh, – it is safe. I mean people are like, well, aren't you going to pass out? And you're like, well, no. I mean I, they're not around my neck and so I'm not <laughs> going to pass out. It's around the arms and legs. And you're not clamping down so hard that you're completely reducing blood flow. So don't go overboard on them and, 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 and really reduce all blood flow. All you're doing is restricting blood flow a, a bit. And for those that do want to implement it, start off light, and you may not even feel anything, but start off for a week or two really light for 10 minutes, and then begin to crank down or, or increase the tension on the bands if, if you want. Um, but that was started, uh, they've done clinical trials in the, the elderly uh, uh, population who were sick, and they could barely lift weights. And what they did is they occluded their arms, and they gained strength and mobility back from be from re- occluding their limbs. So wow. it is relatively safe.
1: And, and uh, in terms of uh, what you've got coming up the next six to 12 months, is there things that you're sort of uh, looking at or what, what are you excited about in the next six to 12 months that, that you're doing and you're focused on?
0: Well, getting athletes prepared for uh, the Olympics coming up in Olympic trials here in the States is, is tickets went on sale today. So that's in 12 months. Um, And the other thing I'm working on is the term recovery strategies, because when HRV is off and I tell my athletes, hey, maximize your recovery strategies. Number one, I know that they don't have recovery strategies. What does that exactly mean? And number two, uh, what ways can we implement to increase recovery? So, for example, sleep um, is a big one to uh, increase recovery. But sleep what? What? And they, in, it's been shown on a systematic review that sleep extension is the best way to recover more uh, and r- increase your recovery strategies. And so I, I want to dive into that and kind of get a, a 24-hour optimized window of what we could do to train, recover, sleep, uh, nutrition. And then you know, rinse and repeat for week in, week out, month in, month out.
1: Mm. So by sleep extension, is in going longer than what you would normally do?
0: Correct, yeah. And if you're getting average of seven hours, well, let's increase it to eight or nine, and yeah. it allow the athlete to sleep in and not go to morning practice. Mm, gotcha.
1: Well, thanks so much for yeah. being on the uh, the podcast. And where where can people find out more about what you're doing and get in contact with you? What are your uh, social media handles and uh, website, if you've got one?
0: Uh, you can look me up uh, personally at Trevor Gray on Instagram, um, but my professional website is Streamlined Swim Coaching dot com, and that is also on Instagram or on the World Wide Web.
1: Awesome, thanks very much, Trevor. And uh, I'd be keen to have you back on and hear more about uh, how these some of these guys go up to the uh, Olympic trials and, uh, and and qualifying, and and how you go with all of the uh, heart rate variability stuff. Because I think it's uh, yeah, it's a really ex- exciting thing to look at, especially for those people who are training a lot. And uh, I know back in the day, I think when I was training eight, nine times a week, I could have probably uh, used, used some of this as a way to uh, rest when I, when I felt like I was going to fall asleep. Um, yep. on it. Well, I fell asleep in a lot of classes in school. So I think uh, those could have been some good days to, to have a bit more rest. But I uh, appreciate being on the podcast and, uh, and sharing, all of your, um, sharing all of your knowledge.
0: Thanks for having me.